Hey everybody, welcome to the Family Jewels True Crime Podcast. My name is Brian Sobolewski, and this is episode 2 of season 3, Altered Man Part 2. So I want to set the stage here for what will be happening from week to week, because uh, there will be a specific format to how we do these. But these first couple of episodes, Altered Man Part 1, Altered Man Part 2, and just the whole Altered Man discussion is the underlying common theme throughout Season 3, how I have been changed. But Episode 2 here is going to try to answer or bring to light a a very interesting topic, but we have to address it. Now, when I got out and, and, you know, started going to school again, you know, this is well, you know, a couple months after I got out and we are still in the timeline where I'm, you know, fresh out, checking into probation, you know, trying to get into some type of groove and I got to start working and I got myself a part-time job while I am um, doing school and eventually it gets to the point that... Um, my mom can't be alone anymore. Now, you know from the story that, that Jess had a kid and she she had a boyfriend and, you know, they were trying to work and do their thing. So there were very few avenues for us to explore in terms of full-time care for somebody that needed full-time care. Now, this became a bone of contention with probation who said, uh, you know, I needed a I needed a a new letter every single time I left the state, and it, and it came to a head. I basically said to this woman, "Listen, do whatever you got to do. Violate me if you want. I'll be at Twenty Dorothy Drive, Epping, New Hampshire, but I gotta go take care of my mother." We couldn't. One of the most heartbreaking appointments any person in the world will ever sit through. Just, I, I don't want to talk about it now, but it's part of the story and it's part of why I had to make these decisions. Is I went, I went to the doctors with my mom and it was after she had gone through this, this devastating dose of chemo and radiation at the same time. I told you part of me being altered was the fact that when I hugged her after I walked out of prison and my feet went from incarcerated to free I hugged her as a free man I knew she was dead and this was the appointment where the doctor had to tell her that so and you gotta understand I was so angry at this appointment I was so mad that I, I guarantee you if we found this doctor this oncologist and you asked him today he'd remember me I sat in that office steaming and we knew what was coming and mom's sitting there. It was just me and mom. And I mean, she could barely stand up and he comes in with her file and opens it up and says, you know, you know, I'm sorry, but the treatment didn't work. Uh, None of your tumors are shrank. As a matter of fact, it had spread and was now in her stomach. And he said at this point there are no treatment options and my mom who I think we all knew this was going to happen I think we all knew we were heading this way but my mom broke down again and started she started to beg for other options more chemo more radiation maybe do it again and and me and the doctor were like what and that's that's 
That's my mom. She said, hit me again, doc, man. I, I got to stay. I got And understand there were so many things going on in my, that were starting for my mom where she, she, wa- she was holding this together loosely, but she was holding us together. As evidenced by the fact that after she passed, you know, me, Jess, and Kev just split apart. We just split apart. And she, she was the only reason for us to, to, uh, to stay together. She would guilt the fuck out of us to, hey, you gotta come to your sister's, it's her first Christmas, and we'll go visit your brother. And guilt has always been a great motivator, as we'll get into as we start the, the therapy part, or the really understanding of what I am, how I've been altered, who I could have been, you know, there are, listen, who doesn't ask those questions, but I have legitimate, I have legitimate stuff here. I have legitimate evidence. I will, I'm going to walk you through all of it, which is why I've said in the last podcast, all of season three will be about how I've been altered. And the question we have to answer, which I brought up earlier, as we talk about this fucking appointment that my mother was on and I was with her, is whether you think I'm different by degree or I'm a different kind of person because of what I've gone through. So as we start talking about specifically what about prison changed me, we have to we have to say, well, geez, you, you were pretty fucked up before that. Like you know my childhood, you know you know the shit that went on. I've talked about it. You have a couple seasons worth. If you if you want to brush up, please go back and listen. But. All the evidence is there to show that, geez, this, I wasn't a normal kid. When they do the movie, you're not going to see a kid like running through fields of daisies and skipping and, you know, having pleasant relationships with other kids. I hated other kids, but I was told not to trust other kids. Like, there is precedent here. So I think it's important in this season to differentiate between what prison has done and what just life has done. Am I an altered man? Truly. Or was was this coming? If it wasn't dad, would I have would I have gone this route? Would I have done prison time? And we I, the answer to that I already know. I can tell you is no. I would not have. So, as we dissect, am I different by degree? Like you just turn the knob a little to the left, and there's Bry. Or do you have to go to a different, do we got to go to a different microscope? Do we have to look at, is this a different species? And, uh, you know, I don't know how to answer that question. Do you know how, do you know the book, as much as I talk about, I wanted it to be a tool and, you know, I wanted, I'm a tool, all right. Uh, It was my pushing at you, a plate of me and forcing you to eat it so I could see whether or not it choked you. That's what I did. I, I, I wanted to force this story on the public as if you were the jury. The jury that we never saw. The jury that we didn't dare stand in front of. Is so much of the reason why I just put that story right out. There's so many reasons why in the first five minutes I will probably tell you that I have been to prison. Because I want your reaction. I want to know what you think. I want you to. I want you to ask me the questions so I can go over this again 
and we can go over it together and I can look at your reactions as, as, as it happens. Cause with every new face and every new person that, that I feed this to, I wait for someone to choke and nobody does. As a matter of fact, I open their mouth for more. Am I different by degree or different in kind is uh, very, very, I will tell you that the person standing in that doctor's office with my mother <laughs> was different because of prison. The anger that, that the Bunsen burner that like was igniting it was old. But uh, boy, did I want to kill that doctor. Fuck you for offering no hope. And f but it wasn't him. I was a I asked questions specifically to whip my mother. Ladies and gentlemen, I just said it. My mother was dead. She's already on the torture block, about to have her head cut off, and I decide to pull out the whip in that office. When he said, there's no hope, we're going to make you as comfortable as possible. We got you hooked up with hospice. They're amazing. And I said, well, maybe we should put her in the hospital. Whip one. My mother fell apart. Please, please, please. Started begging. Please let me die at home. Of course. Of course. But it. It was hard. It was already hard. She was a handful. My mother spent every single day of, of from the second I got out of prison to the day that she died trying to escape the house. She thought she was in a mental institution. She thought she was back at Danvers, Danvers Hospital and she was hell-bent on getting the fuck out of there. So much of it was a, a riot watching her try to escape. Because she was so funny about it, especially when she got caught. Like, <laughs> uh, but we'll get into that. Um, whip number two. How did this happen, Doc? How did she get cancer? Lung cancer? Smoking, right? I wanted him to I wanted him to say it. I wanted him to say, yes, the cigarettes killed her. No, it was not a single person <laughs> that that wondered how, but I wanted the medical professional to say it so that I could turn to her and be like, see? That that's where I was at, man. That like and this, this is so much of the reason why I don't like to talk about this particular time in my life. I was also listening to a lot of Offspring. So those of you that know Offspring know. And I would do it driving. My cassette tape in my gold Ford 1988 Thunderbird. <laughs> Still love that car. Um... But that, that was an awful appointment made awfuler by me. Which is a huge clue, number one, that my anger was was boiling over already. and But there was an endless supply of whatever was bubbling over. Like, the, you know, you're like, okay, it bubbled over. Okay, now we can be cool. No, there's, there's no end to the bubble at that point. And when I drove mom home, we went to Telly's, which was her favorite little sub shop, and she ate two bites of, a, you know, whatever we got, and, you know, brought her off to bed. I also suggested at 
while we were eating that we move her bed down to the living room because I always had a problem when she tried to escape. I would wake up usually as she was falling down the stairs. And that sucked. Like, listen, and I can't put up a baby gate because she'll just tumble over that. And then she somersaults down the stairs. So there was just so much shit. And I'm sure there are now more tactful ways of keeping that person, you know, up on up a floor. But regardless, that's not where we were at. So at the top floor of, of the home, Jess had a room when she was living there. So that's where I was at. And it was, you know, good. Kept the door open as much as I could. And I could hear everything. I had a baby monitor in there. So if mom made a peep, but mom was so good. She was so good at escaping. She, let me tell you something. When she went down those stairs, it was after she had gotten up, smoked a cigarette, munched on a yodel, and packed what she thought was essential. Let me tell you, every single time my mother packed up essentials it was cigarettes the means to light said cigarettes it was some form of chocolate usually in a snack cake yodels uh amongst her favorites loved devil dogs uh anything chocolate boom that was always in the little kid and there was always some sort of wiccan trinket folded up into a little tiny <laughs> into a little tiny handkerchief she would put it in it was, I, I close my eyes right now I can remember it it was orange had like a, it had a lot of Indian sort of colors you know think of curry um, and uh, and there was a sea foam in there and she would wrap that up and that's usually what she would trip over or drop or you know would be occupying a hand that she needed to get downstairs and whoop down she'd go or I would catch her in the room opening the closet door, looking for a stash of drugs that wasn't there because that's where my mom hid drugs when I was a kid. When I used to steal weed from my mother, she always put it in the closet. She had those sliding closet doors. You open the sliding closet doors. It was usually in her pocketbook. Or if you felt at the top where the sliding doors, the gliders that those were on, there was usually a little tiny shelf shop tucked up above the door jam and she would hide weed up there and I would always be able to grab a joint up there whenever I needed it and she would be up there fishing around and I would hear it it would sound like there was a squirrel or something scurrying in your walls no that's mom just trying to dig for her weed that was never there mom mom was 16 years sober when she died so altered man is this episode it what altered me about that whole situation is uh she she was already gone you know what i mean at that point she's so dehydrated malnourished i mean the woman i would wake up when i would go into a room any given time she had a cigarette and a lighter i could go through her room a thousand times with a thousand fine tooth combs and leave thinking there's not a cigarette and a lighter in that room and come back and she's got a cigarette in her mouth a lighter and she's smoking away and when I finally confronted her about it, because John the Orderly, I could say whatever I want to her. She thought I was John the Orderly. Fuck you, lady. I was like, you're making my job very difficult. Where are the cigarettes? I don't want you to smoke anymore. And she's like, why? Because it's going to kill me? Boom. Rock solid logic. So John would sit down and have a smoke with her. Um, it altered me because um, you. there was never a time in my life that, that 
I, I had seen my mother that vulnerable, and that's weird to say because I saw her multiple times in rehab, but even in rehab, mom was combatant. She always had a power and a, I don't know, uh, a stubbornness about her, a stubbornness that that you will not get her down. And alcohol almost beat her and killed her. And, you know, cancer finally just, just turned her into something that it was unrecognizable to me. And uh, that w that was very difficult, you know. Nights were the worst, you, you know. You try to I tried to put her down, and and but she would always be up fiddling around. And uh, you know, I can tell you that I wish I had taken better care of savoring those moments the way I did with my grandmother when she was sick with dementia. You know, so she was gone, but. I never, you know, and I played a video of her in the way that I used to deal with her dementia, which is I'd just, you know, give into it, man. You ain't correcting that brain anymore, so you're not going to tell her, hey, stop dropping crumbs on the floor. She wants to talk about, you know, fairies and rainbows and nonsense. Go. I'm with you. Because it was the only way to keep her calm. And, and I was doing my best to try to keep my mom calm, but my mom was in a panic because Kev wasn't around. I was, just had her shit to deal with. So it, it was a very unsettling time for her. So almost every second that she woke up was, where's Kev? And okay, I'll tell you where he is. He's in prison. Sorry. Oh, where's Jess? She's, you know, she was there most of the time or some of the time, but other times she had a newborn to deal with. And my mother's sister, you know, Bubchi would come up, but Bubchi was very frail and she was in the beginning stages of Parkinson's. And uh, another another alteration of me by this time period was how my relationship with Bubchi changed. And that's, that's time for another episode. But So I am just at this point fuming. I have this level of vapor rage. So think think about it this way. You have this this crusty, gravelly bottom. And above that, you start this thick liquid. And from there, the liquid begins to uh, lessen in grade like it and then becomes sort of watery until it becomes just vapor. Those are the levels. Of my anger, it was the gravel old. It was so old and never dealt with and never ever uh, resolved. And I'm just a menace. I'm a menace to doctors. I'm a menace to my mother. Um, and I'm I am ashamed to say that it did affect the level of care I could have given that woman. And and you know. Yeah, I, I hope you always wish you could do better. And those of you out there that don't wish you could do better, bravo. Bravo to you. So, uh, you know. So moving right along. At this point, you know, my day-to-day -day operations as John the Orderly. So, yes, my mother thought I was John the Orderly most of the time. So, she like... She would be like, John, so when she, when I heard her call that, um, then I would come running. But there were times that I would walk into her bedroom and she would be there. 
I don't know if other people that have, you know, pe- you know, loved ones that have died of cancer or you know, whatever, but what their experience is. But there were two people I was taking care of, and you, I waited for when I got glimpses of mum. And but every time I got mum, where's Jess? Where's Kev? Are you disappointed in me as a mother? The only question she would ask before. You know, she would doze off again and then come back and she was Lucy, the raving lunatic trying to escape 20 Dorothy Drive Mental Institution. And that, you know, so much of the morphine did that to her and tried to keep her comfortable. But hats off to and people don't give enough credit to and they don't make enough money. And every single time I see a billionaire and it's not a hospice worker. Uh, that's an insult to humanity. And this is this is one of the reasons why aliens don't come down here. Wait a minute, that's a hospice worker and uh, Donald Trump is a billionaire? Fuck you. We're not going down there. That makes no sense. These people give more than you could possibly ever know. They really do. And if the, if this, if the Family Jewels podcast ever achieves any fame, I will be a sounding board for them. Anybody that does that work. Nursing, in general, I was saying this today because uh, somebody was telling me in London they have a huge nurse shortage. And I got to tell you something. Your first line of defense in that hospital is not that doctor. It's the nurse, you idiot. If your nurse doesn't like you, uh, this is what I know from from the nurses that I have loved before. <laughs> And I, I've had a ton of nurses that have been girlfriends and I've known a ton of nurses. My my aunt was a nurse. If you are in the hospital for something that it truly wasn't your fault, you were hit by a car, you will get the best care available. You'll get the best drugs available. When they say, when you're like, hey, can I have something for pain? You will get something for pain. But uh, med seek and you're in there for something stupid that you shouldn't be in there for. And I'll tell you, it's, it's weird to say, but a suicide attempt, nurses hate that shit. At least the nurses that I've known would be like, hey, if you tried to commit suicide and you fucked it up, don't don't occupy my bed, please. I have clients, I have patients that are here in real pain. And then you med seek, that's when you get this. You get, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being no pain, and 10 being your arms cut off, salt put in them and somebody sprays Windux on them while hitting them with a bat is a 10, where would you say your pain level is? And if you're the idiot that says 10, <laughs> you're getting an aspirin. You might just get a chiclet. I don't even know if you're going to get an aspirin at that point. Um, but I digress. Your first line of defense in any hospital situation, ladies and gentlemen, is a nurse. Fuck those doctors. They don't give a shit. That that dude, that dude has 8,000 patients and is like, hey, let's see if this works on this one. Um, but that nurse is, is the one that gives you the best care. So when hospice really started coming on, like, and, and they're so wonderful that they'll even tell you, listen, we're going to start coming twice a day to clean her. My mom had, you know, I, I really didn't want to get into the details of this because it's just, it, I don't want it at all. I don't like it, but. She had a stomach tumor that started to breach her actual body. And it was terrible. It was just the worst part of watching her suffer. And it was the worst part for them in watching her suffer. And 
to the point that they eventually I they would I would they would come in and I would get a break to go work out, which saved my life. At that point, because you got to understand that it, I was I was trying to stay off drugs because I was getting drug tested all the time, and I would line up my mother's cancer drugs. Boom! You had twelve hours slow release time extended morphine. Twelve hour. You had an eight hour. Then they gave you a six. They threw in a four, and then uh, they they get they hit you with a liquid uh, sublingual morphine. That you just stick it under your tongue, and you are woo. Then they give you some Dilaudid. Why they throw that in? You know, there's probably better reasons than I can give you, other than the fact that it makes you want to hug everything on the planet. If I popped a Dilaudid, I could hug a porcupine full quilled out. You know, not the combed back quilled porcupine, the one that's like, Poof, I'll hug that fucker. On Dilaudid, hello, they should put it in the water supply, man, start dropping that on the Middle East, because you'll work shit out. I would line those things up on the kitchen counter and just be like, I could just take you all. You know, when you're in that, you're in so much pain. It's so funny because I have always found it the easiest to stay sober in the chaos. The topic here that we are covering uh, along with am I different by degree or different by kind is the fact that what has altered me, and this is a lifelong thing, and I want to be able to differentiate from now on. I will tell you, hey, this alteration was from my life. This was from prison. This was from the robberies. This was from uh, this was a lifelong thing. I thrive in chaos. Put and that's where I will hire a recovering addict. I will have I will hire a dysfunctional person uh, before anybody else because it's you know any business that you're running. It's great when the you know phones ringing, hello, hello. You know you can be nice to people that way, but when there's eighty people screaming at you, those are the people that are like, "Hey, chill. Everyone's gonna get what they need." <laughs> those are the times when I can sit back and sleep the best. That like in in uh, my cousin Vinny that movie, uh, he slept the best when he was in jail and it, there was like a riot going on. <laughs> That's Bry. Put me in chaos and I will thrive. Put me in peace and I will create chaos so I can thrive. I don't know. Is that regular? It, it, are there other people out there like that? Because to me, it just sounds like, I don't know. And, and listen, chaos could be anything. Anything. Depending on where in the timeline we're talking about. Uh... That's a big piece. That's a big piece. I usually have to uh, think it needs to be noisy in a room for me to fall asleep. I usually fall asleep to, you know, TV or something like that. But um, and then there are times that I absolutely treasure uh, quietness. But to have hospice sit you down. And say, we don't know why your mom's not dead. It's a, it's. <laughs> so I got I got to back up a tiny bit and say that since the suicide pact that my mother and I made when my first day in prison. Since that, and here's another piece of alteration for you. Our goodbyes became. Remember the pact. 
our phone call goodbyes. When we hugged, she would whisper in my ear, remember the pact. When I would call and I'd be in an uproar and I'd be all fucked up and she said, and she knew I was heading towards something probably not good. She'd be like, listen, remember that fucking pact. And she threw it in my face constantly. Trust me, this is my mother. I, as much as you, I, I paint this picture and everybody loves her, great. She was still a pain in the ass. And, and she had, as much as I have that sarcastic driving, I'll get at you. I am going to find your buttons. Oh, that's what I'm best at. She was better. You are in the presence of the master. And she, it, remember the pact. But it was a, it was my lifeline, and it was, sometimes it was a joke. Yeah, the fucking pack, Jesus. When is, is are they amendable? <laughs> Amendment two to the pact is probably can kind of commit suicide. <laughs> but there's there's the humor, because I have to add that before I tell you that when I sat down with hospice and they said, "Why is she not dead yet? Is there something that she's holding on to?" So I hope you don't think that they, we sat down and we're like, hey, we don't know why your mother's dead and looked at me for answers. They said, hey, we don't know why your mother's, hold, what she's holding on to. Because we've never seen anybody go this far. This is the, I don't know if anyone with cancer in general goes as far as this particular batch of hospice people hadn't seen anyone go this far. But apparently my mother was crushing some records of will to stay here despite the rest of her just, you know, gone is there anything you can think of that she's holding on to I remember this woman Melissa she was uh, when I say hourglass I mean that hourglasses wished they looked like her when she went by not in shape I don't mean sexy I mean this woman just you know and then boom it had this tiny little waist Imagine the fattest person in the world with the tiniest waist. I don't know how she pulled it off. Like Jessica Rabbit in nurse form, but not hot. <laughs> wow, what a description. And she had these thick Coke bottle glasses. And she actually took them off and rubbed her eyes because mom was exhausting. Boy, when they went in there and had to clean her up, woo! I turned on the baby monitor just to laugh at the swearing. Who the fuck are you? Get the fuck out of my room, you motherfucking mother. Fuck buckets. Boy, she could, and it was a laugh -a riot listening to them. <laughs> they always found a cigarette. Um, she took off her glasses and she rubbed her eyes and she said, is there anything you can think of that she is holding on to? And I said, yeah, we had a pact. And they all sort of leaned forward and at the same time had this look of, ah, oh, there it is. It's like, it's like, there's Waldo. And I fucking knew what they were going to say next. I knew what they were going to say next. They were going to say, is there any way that you could let her out of it? Because that's the only way we can see her letting go. I wasn't the only reason she was hanging on, guys. I don't. I don't want to be egotistical and make it sound like I'm the I'm number one son. My sister was number one to my mother. I don't mind saying it. And and my brother was number one to my dad. And I have typical middle child syndrome because I I never remember having a particular parent to run to. 
I ran to mom and half the time she laughed at me. I could go to her with the most emotional thing in the world. I'd be like wrecked and she'd be like, dude, chill out. <laughs> Probably because she had been up in the closet and her little thing and smoked some weed and she'd be like, dude, I don't know how many times my mother probably was just like, listen, smoke some of this to the nine-year-old house that was completely irrational, but I knew they were going to ask me to let her out of it. So now, you know, it's, and that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what she asked me to do. She said, listen, can you get her out of it? Can you let her go? So now it's in my hands now. I, I, I don't, you know, that's one of the things that I would typically take in a couple of days. I'm going to take the weekend and, and think of if that's something I can do. But that whole weekend is what? Potentially me keeping my mother who is in fucking unbelievable pain with a breech tumor coming out of her stomach here? Hello. Anger. Let's kick that up a level. Imagine you have a steam train and you have it right at the perfect speed, but some shithead keeps coming in and say, hey, throw this Molotov cocktail on there. And then zoom, it gets to the point where it doesn't matter how good your brakes are. That fire is, you can't, you can't beat it. So uh, I remember she had a friend, Barbara, uh, from AA, my mom. My mom was in recovery, went to AA all the time, and me and my mom would sit and talk shit about AA constantly. She had a friend that would come over when hospice couldn't so I could go work out. Everybody, you know, this is, again, one of the reasons why I'm a proponent of exercise because if you have any type of anxiety or depression, it absolutely helps. Fuck you, your, all your drugs out there. Get on a treadmill, work your ass off, uh, and, and you'll get rid of some of it. Or maybe it won't for you. I don't know. Enjoy your Lexapro. But, uh, I came back that night and walked into just a beautiful room. Mom was smoking a cigarette. Barbara was smoking a cigarette. You two assholes. It still made me mad, but hey. And it was mom. She said, hey, sweetie. She kind of patted the seat next to me, next to her, and I went over, and she was all tucked in her bed, and she looked comfy, and she had some chocolate milk next to her and a devil dog that she wouldn't eat. And uh, I sat down, and I said, uh, you know, I'm glad to see you awake. There's something i got to talk to you about. And she's like, oh, what? Dear, are you disappointed in me as a mother? Ugh. I'm like, Ma, can you cut the shit? <laughs> yeah. I said, yes, I am. I always answered her, yeah. Yeah, you, you could have done better. I don't... I don't <laughs> I'm the friend you go to that if you say, hey, do I look fat in this? I say, no, it's not that. It's not what you're wearing. It's the fat that makes you look fat. Um, I said, mom, I got to tell you something. Uh, I've thought a lot about it. And uh, I want to let you know that uh, you're out. She's like, what? I said, you're out. You know, the thing. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, our pact. I want to let you, because I couldn't even say it. I couldn't even say the word. And when I said pact, it just, it was like a kick in the gut. And I said, I just want to let you know that it's okay to go if you want to. I'm going to let you out of our pact. And she looked, she turned her head to me. She had some soft light from a lamp next door right on her face. And she said, what are you fucking kidding me? 
No way. End of story. Done. Over. No more discussion. That's mom. Boom. So you got to be careful when you <laughs> careful what you wish for because when you got mom, that's what you got. No, absolutely not. Which is the answer I expected. Now I I got my <gasps> ready to hug it out, but nope. She's like, no, absolutely not. Fuck you. I'm like, no, mom. Seriously, you know you don't have any like thing here left to do. She's like, speak for yourself. I'm staying. <laughs> you go if you want. And that was it. Overdone with. End of story. It's, but uh, <laughs> and it was uh, it was so difficult because to this day I, I you know I have entered into another suicide pact with somebody else, a listener of the Family Jewels True Crime podcast, and I'm gonna leave it at that. You guys can wonder who that is, and uh, you know you can wonder who it is because you probably know it isn't you, and <laughs> or maybe it is you, and maybe I didn't tell the other person. Hey, I, that's I'm going to do a secret giveaway. I am entering into a suicide pact with somebody in this audience and I'm not telling who it is. So there you go. You can walk around saying, shit, I better not kill myself because uh, <laughs> then Bri's going to go. All fun and games, but uh, this this was a shitty fucking time for me. I swear a lot when I when I get emotional. Somebody, another good friend pointed that out to me recently. And when I get comfortable, I swear a lot. That's my mom. That's my mom coming out because that's what she would do. So we we get to zero hour. Meaning that there was a night in after this that uh, mom just wouldn't sleep. I could always count on her sleeping, you know, 18 hours a day, but then she just wouldn't. And she couldn't speak. And uh, she started to shake. And I called hospice because I was very, very nervous. And somebody came over very late at night and they said, hey, rally the troops because uh, it's going to happen. And I was like, well, uh, can I get a timeline on that? She says, you know, between the next eight to 18 hours, um, she's going to pass. So, uh, you know, it's just so sad. It's just so fucking sad because of her two sisters who she would have wanted to be there. Only one showed up and brought my grandmother and brought Bubji. And I made it a point to take every candle in the house. My mother loved candles. She loved the fireplace that we had in the house. She loved fire. She was a witch. Um, totally devoted to Wicca. And uh, it was something that absolutely bothered her because she was so afraid to tell Bupji about the plans that she made for her own service. And this was something that when I did see mom, other than denying my letting her out of the pact, she would talk about. She said, remember, Bri, Reverend blah, blah, blah is coming over. Whatever they have, whatever they have in a Unitarian church, my mother found peace in her life, finally, with a God that she understood. Keep in mind all the stories that I've told you about us growing up Catholic. My mom had the same questions that I did about her own faith and her own religion and the 
and the scripture and doctrine of and the problems and the black shadows that exist surrounding the Catholic Church that she couldn't reconcile them. So, along with dragging us to church, mostly because Bupchi made her drag us to church, Mom stopped bringing us to church in our teens because we just finally... I was confirmed, and after that, hey, once I'm confirmed, I'm in. I'm in heaven. See ya! That's when most people bail. But she stopped making it an issue. She stopped forcing any type of... You know, Mom never lived the faith. She brought us to the people that did, and she said, hey, do what they do. And that's not the way to teach that. You know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta actually <laughs> practice what you preach, I guess. But she, she didn't stop looking, and and she still wanted to find an understanding of her God that made that made sense to her and helped her reconcile her existence. And she did it. My mom went to a Unitarian church in Epping, New Hampshire. Uh, might have been in Exeter. She um, planned the service that she wanted everybody to come to, but was so afraid of what Bupchi would think and thought Bupchi wasn't going to go to it that it got to the point where I ended up having to tell Bupchi because she was... I'm just like, we had fucking tell her? And mom did tell her, but I spoiled it by... I cushioned it for Bupchi. And that was our family. That's what we did. I don't know if you, what your families do, but hey, I got to tell Jess. I got to tell Jess. I got to tell Jess. She's Louie's kid and she's not dad. She's Louie's kid. She's not dad. And then eventually I'm just like, hey, Jess, you're Louie's kid, not dad. Mom's going to tell you soon. Try to act surprised. Jess would be like, yeah, I already knew. What? <laughs> like that kind of shit. I told Bubchi and Bubchi couldn't have been awfuler about it. There was no understanding. There was no movement. There was only rigidity. There was only, you know, Catholicism. And this is how I raised her and this. And as much as I want to find some some love in that, like that she just wanted to connect with her daughter through whatever, whatever it is you people do religion for. I wanted to see Bupchi's side of it. And I couldn't at that moment when she said to me, Oh, she planned her own service at a Unitarian church? So what do you mean? There's going to be firecrackers and hula hoops? That's what Bupchi said. And I could have taken her at that point. She had Parkinson's. I could have just held her shaking hand in front of her and she could have slapped herself. Fuck you. Really. And my grandmother was a lot of things. And she did go to the service. Um... But but she just didn't understand it, and and I guess for me, I I I felt like there could have been some more, there could have been more leeway there. Um. So within that twelve to eighteen hour period, uh, Chuchi Franny showed up, Uncle Henry showed up, oh Uncle Ray, sorry, Uncle Ray showed up. There were more people there from her work than family. And all of her people from work, nurses, sat around her bed on the floor. None of them, I brought seats up. I had comfortable, beautiful seats. And Bupchi sat at this. <laughs> you know the seat that the emperor sits in and Empire Strikes Back? The Sith Lord, the emperor. And he's sitting in that, that swivelly chair. 
Well, to no surprise to anyone, Dad had a chair, a brown leather chair like that. It was a swivel, had this little ottoman, but it was this thing that kind of cup around and just kind of hugged you. Great chair, but it was the chair of a evil doctor. <laughs> and Bubchi, poom, planted herself right in there. And she looked like the emperor. Come to the dark side. Um, she sat. And it was almost as if the nurses took a position below her out of respect. The most respectful fucking thing you'll ever see in that dog park. Or the, the cutest thing to me is when a dog comes over to you and rolls over and and becomes vulnerable. He is he is showing you the ultimate sign of respect. And and that's what dogs are great at. Dog meets you nose to nose, eye to eye. And we'll see. But that dog comes over and, and and takes a lower position. Cats probably do this more than dogs, but that lower position is a sign of submission. And and I think that's what those women were doing to my grandmother and my mother. And they sat and I had every candle in the room lit up. And I had this fucking Celtic music that my mother loved. I had her handkerchief. And inside were folded a open pack of cigarettes, a sealed pack of cigarettes, two lighters, an angel that was kneeling in front of a mirror with her wings spread. It was made out of cast iron and silver type of thing. And I put that in there and there was this little uh, amethyst crystal. And I made her her own handkerchief pack that she could escape with. She was never coherent from that point on. There was no point you could say, hey, Lucille, what's up? Do you need anything? She was shaking. Her eyes never, they barely blinked. And her body was just, you know, like every single cell was being told, you got to lay down because she just won't fucking die. I, I laid down next door in the bed. I got into bed with her and I laid down and I was so exhausted. I fell asleep. And the last thing I remember is my grandmother tapping me on the foot, waking me up. Before I fell asleep, I noticed that one of the candles closest to mom had gone out. And uh, as I started falling asleep, the next one went out. And when I woke up, they were about all halfway out in order. It was almost like the candles were counting down and... When I woke up, I turned to watch my mother take her last breath. And that was it. Um, <laughs> watching somebody takes, take their last breath alters you. It changes you. It, uh, I wish it gave me a zest for life. I wish it made me appreciate every second. And to some extent it did, but do I now? I don't. I don't. I think I, I'm afraid of life more than than I do what you would think seeing that would do to somebody. Um, we're going to end it there. I think it's a great place to end episode two, Altered Man. We've gone over a lot of stuff. I've, I've, I've covered a lot of stuff. Uh, we are going to talk about 
the weird, scary things that go bump in the night after someone dies in a home that even Hospice told me would happen in the next episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed episode two of season three. We are trudging right along. Thank you so much. Take care of yourselves and each other.